Well, again, good evening. My name is George Davis. Thank you for joining us on this Good Friday. You know, you already know this, but we live, we live in an age where we are highly connected. Technology has given us access to so much information. And, and one of the results of that is you and I have the amazing ability, even through the phone that's in our pockets, to, to stay connected with major stories that are happening all over the world. The, the good stories as well as the challenges. And so just with a flip of a switch on our phone, scrolling through different images, we have the ability, for instance, to stay up to date with things going on in the Ukraine or to keep up with natural disasters that might happen in other parts of our country, tornadoes, or even tragically to stay attuned of those events that seem to happen too frequently like a school shooting in Nashville. We've got access to so much information. Day by day, we're bombarded with so many images. And, and what is often the case is we, we are captivated. Our attention is grabbed by one of these amazing stories or tragic stories that happens somewhere in the world. And, and it rivets our attention for one or two news cycles. And then, then something else happens. And our attention is diverted. And we move on to the next thing. And it's not surprising that we live that way. That's just, that's just what life is like in a highly connected world where we are bombarded with so much information, so many images, so much access to news, locally, nationally, internationally. And so given that reality... And given our tendency to kind of move from one story to the next, let's just for a moment acknowledge how weird it is that we're here tonight. I mean, wrestle with this question for a moment. In an age where we move from story to story, from news cycle to news cycle, why, why do we look at the cross differently? Why do, why do we come back to this event unlike those other events week after week, year after year? Now, I know our, our immediate answer is, well, of course, George, we, we remember the cross because this is the day Jesus died. He died for our sins. And, and I know that, but can we just... Can we just slow down for a moment and realize how unexpected this is? To to show you what I mean, let's just take a few minutes to go back to the beginning. Go back to the early days of the Christian movement, right? For the last few weeks, we've been going through the letters of Paul here at Hershey Free Church. and, And at one point, as he's writing to the This young church in Corinth, he he describes his own work this way. He describes his approach to ministry. He describes the heart of his message, what he's seeking to communicate in city after city, conversation after conversation. He says that the heart of all that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And what will over time grab your attention as you read the letters of Paul, as you read the other writings of the New Testament, was this argument central to early Christianity that the cross is now at the very center of history. Simply put, the argument is this. The cross changes everything. Now, you and I, we're we're so accustomed to seeing images of the cross. We're so accustomed to walking into churches with a cross. We're so accustomed to seeing the cross on jewelry that I think over time we've, we've lost the reality of how audacious a claim this was, particularly in the first century. In so many ways, it didn't make sense. For instance, look at, look at this experience from a Roman perspective. And, and when you look at this story, this scene in the life of Jesus from a Roman perspective... It's important to remember that from a Roman perspective, crucifixion was not simply a means of execution. Perhaps more importantly, crucifixion was a means of communication. You see, for the Romans, crucifixion was all about communicating their power. I'll give you one example. This is kind of the bust of a guy named Quintilius Verus. He was a Roman general. Several decades before Christ was born, there was a minor insurrection in Israel coming after the death of Herod the Great. And in response, to communicate the absolute power of Rome, this general had 2,000 Jews crucified in Israel. And the message was clear. Don't mess with us. We're the ones with the power. And so from a Roman perspective, crucifixion was all about communicating their dominance. It was all about communicating to outsiders that you cannot mess with us. This is one of the reasons why Roman citizens could not be crucified. This is one of the reasons why there's evidence that in polite company, Roman citizens never talked about crucifixion. This was all about communicating their power, their dominance. Crucifixion was the way the Romans said, look, hey, this is the way the world really works, and you might as well get used to it, because we are the final arbiters of power. You know, interestingly, while our circumstances are right are very different from the Roman Empire, I think we too, you and I, we recognize the importance of power, right? We kind of we understand the importance of power, and in different ways, I think we, we understand the way power works. For instance, there's, there's the power of position. You and I know that people in certain positions of authority, people in leadership positions, whether that's government, whether that's civil organizations, whether that's companies, we know 
They have power. You and I are, are used to working in environments where some people have power and we, we, right, we, we report to them. Just take some time this summer uh, walking around Washington, D.C., and, and at some point you may see a motorcade or a bulletproof SUV drive past and not have to stop for the lights, and you know, well, there's, there's a p- person who has a position of power. So we know power comes in the form of position. We know power, for instance, can also come in the form of possessions, people who have resources, wealth. There's certain, there's certain opportunities, certain privileges, certain forms of power that come when, when you have money. Furthermore, there's, there's also the power of popularity. When I think about this, my mind always goes back to a time where we were visiting my parents in Dallas, and, and I, was, I was in a large mall there, and I'd gone into an ice cream store uh, to get ice cream. And there was really only one other customer who was ahead of me. I walk into this small ice cream shop, and there two young guys behind the counter and they're in conversation with this guy, the customer, ahead of me. And I kind of stand there politely waiting to catch the eye of one of these, you know, employees. But they just keep talking to the guy in front of me. And and he starts to check out and, and they're still, they're kind of, you know, it's like, this is a lot of small talk, right? And it's, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you felt invisible. For, for almost a minute, I'm standing here and, and nobody sees me. Finally, out of curiosity, here's what I did, right? We're, so here was the counter. I kind of took a step back just to kind of look around and who is this guy? And that's when I went, Oh, because the guy in front of me was Randall Cunningham, former NFL quarterback, former quarterback of the Eagles. Some of you guys remember that. And these guys were mesmerized. How can can I compete with that, right? That's the power of popularity. So you and I, we we know the different ways power works, even as the Romans had a vision of how how power could work in their situation. But here's the reality. When Paul and the other New Testament writers talk about the cross, I think they realize, they understand, they're writing to people who have a, un, a perception about how power works and how the world works. And yet in the midst of their perceptions, the argument that they are making is this. The cross is actually a demonstration of a greater power that's at work. And for us today, the truth is, we can, we can look at the cross of Jesus Christ and look at it just as another display of Roman power, right? It's just another way, another example of many examples of how the Romans crucified people to exert their power and authority to humiliate anyone who would stand in their way. We can look at the cross that way. But what if, what if 
this were more than an act of humiliation? What if this were, in reality, an act of revelation? The reality of God's power being revealed at work through Christ's death. That's how Paul and the the other writers of the New Testament want us to look at the death of Jesus Christ. In the book of Colossians, as Paul writes to another church, he's, he's reflecting on the reality of different forms of power at work in our world and including the different ways the power of evil and brokenness is at work and sometimes in individuals, through, sometimes through structures and systems and, and other experiences. And as he thinks about the reality of those powers, he also describes the power of the cross. And this is what he writes in Colossians 2.15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see what he's arguing? The cross is the ultimate manifestation the power of God. It's like Paul looks at you and he looks at me and he says, look, I know you are aware of all sorts of power at work in the world. But in the midst of that, don't lose sight of God's ultimate power. Power that triumphs through the cross. And once again, he wants us to realize the cross changes everything. Furthermore, as Paul reflects on the work of the cross, I think he wants us to see that, you know, this is is not simply raw power. This is the power of God's love. Again, notice these words as Paul writes to the church in Corinth. As he talks about Christ's death, He argues that it's a manifestation of Christ's love, right? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And I think here he's acknowledging the reality that through the entrance of sin into the world, all of us have experienced spiritual death. And yet that is now being overturned by the power of God's love made possible and manifest through Christ's death on our behalf. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul says, look, here's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves dead in the reality of our own brokenness and separated from God. But, but through Christ's death, the power of God has been revealed. And that power is ultimately the manifestation of God's love. If you want to see God's love, if you want to understand God's love, you you need to look at the cross. You know, sometimes I think people just kind of casually say, well, I believe in God, and you know what? God is love, and that, that is true, 
We have to be careful lest we define those terms simply in sentimental ways. No, if you want to understand the nature of God's love and the power of God's love, you have to look at the cross. And I think when we do, there's certain things we learn about the power of God's love. First, we're confronted by the truth that God's love is revealing. Right? When we, when we truly look at the cross, when we look at the manifestation of God's love on the cross, it, it reveals who we are. Think about that famous story that Jesus told, one of his parables. We often refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son. However, it's, it's actually the story of two sons who were lost. Of course, to understand that story, it's important to pay attention to the context in which it's told. And in Luke 15, it's told in the context of religious leaders who were grumbling about the people Jesus was spending time with, right? We, you can kind of envision these people around him that they've just been murmuring about Jesus and I can't believe he's hanging out. Did you see who he went to dinner with? And, and even there's this phrase that's repeated in different language several times in Luke's gospel. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. So in response to this grumbling by these people around him, Jesus tells several stories, including this one, right? A man has two sons. And the younger one decides he wants to go out on his own. He wants his inheritance early, which in that context was like saying to your father, I wish you were dead. And so he goes off. And as the story goes, he gets into all sorts of trouble. He blows his inheritance Meanwhile, we don't really hear much about the older brother. We just assume he's still at home and he's doing his duty. But eventually the younger son comes to his senses, right? He realizes he's made mistakes and he needs his father. So he owns his mistakes and comes back to the father. And that's when the father throws a great party and we kind of expect at this moment and they lived happily ever after, but there's a twist in the story and the twist in the story is the older brother who is now deeply frustrated at all all that's going on in front of him. And arguably it's at this moment that the true nature of the older brother is exposed. Right? He explains, all these years I have been slaving for you. In other words, all these years, I have worked hard to achieve something on my own so that I could stand before you on my own merit. And the father looks at him and says, oh, all of this is yours. But we have to celebrate because your brother has returned. And then the story ends. And we are left wondering, well, what about the older brother? Did he, did, he go, did he actually go back into the house? Did he actually come home and go into the party? And we don't know. Jesus finishes the story abruptly. And I think he does that for a particular reason. 
And again, it has to do with the context. Remember, he's surrounded by all these leaders who were listening to the story, who've been grumbling about the people he's hanging out with. And through Jesus' actions and now his teaching, they have been confronted with the reality of God's love. But it's a love that is exposing them. It's exposing their sense of self-satisfaction, their sense of achievement. It's a love that is revealing their condescending attitude toward others. It's a love that is actually exposing their need. That's what happens when we come to the cross. I mean, when, right, when we come to the message of what this cross actually means... It exposes, it confronts, it convicts. There's there's no way around that when you actually take the cross of Christ seriously. However, there's something else that we learn about the power of God's love when we come to the cross. Not only is it revealing It's also restoring. And we'll talk more about this on Easter. Because as it turns out, even as Paul talks about Christ's work in 2 Corinthians 5, as he continues to unpack the significance of God's love, he said the result of this work is new creation. In other words, through through the work of the cross, Christ's love transforms us. It restores us. Through the cross, we can experience God's forgiveness. Through the cross, our relationship with him can be restored. We can experience his new life, his equipping, the ongoing work of his spirit in our lives. And so once again, as we come to the cross, and see its power, which is the power of God's love for us. That power which is revealing, that power which is restoring. Once again, we are confronted with the truth that the cross changes everything. So as we prepare to take communion this evening... Let me ask you this question. Is there, is there a part of your life right now that the cross needs to change? Maybe you're, you're familiar with the message of Christ. <laughs> you know it, but you haven't received it. Maybe you're kind of like the older brother and, you know, if you kind of reached a point where you realize there's something not right. There's something not working. And maybe that sense that something is off is your recognition that it's time to go home. It's time to come home to the one 
who died in your place so that you could experience his forgiveness. It's time to come home to the one who offers new life and restoration as you put your faith and your trust in him. Or maybe you're, you're more like the older brother, right, who maybe you've even been in church so much of your life and you've kind of gotten accustomed to being engaged in church activities, but there's a real sense in which all that time your understanding has simply been, here's what I have to do for God. But you've never truly accepted what he has done for you. And the truth is, like the older brother, you're still on the outside looking in. Stuck in your own self-sufficiency. Your own sense of achievement. And if that's where you're at, it's, it's, <laughs> it's time to come home. It's time to understand the power of God's love at the cross and to receive that for yourself. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, but right now there, you know, or recently there have been certain circumstances in your life, there are just certain challenges, maybe mistakes that you've made or, or things that have been done to you hardships that you are experiencing, and and somehow in the midst of all these things swirling around you, all you see is the power of these external realities. And you've lost sight of the power of the cross. So for you tonight, perhaps is a time just to come home to the truth that God's love for you was manifested, made available through the cross. And the cross really does change everything. With that in mind, would you join me in prayer. Gracious God, as as we think about this day and what we're remembering, on the one hand, we can look at it from a Roman perspective and we think about the Roman approach to crucifixion as just a display of their absolute power. And even as the Romans understood that, at times we look around us and we, we can perceive, well, power is really in possessions or position or in popularity. But the cross confronts us with the truth that there is something more powerful at work and that is the power of your love which invites us into relationship, which invites us into a posture of faith and trust. And so, Father, as we prepare to receive communion, I pray that in this celebration, this could be a moment where your spirit encourages, convicts, and reminds us 
that the cross really does change everything. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, hopefully you got one of those cups as you came in. If you didn't, they're available at the back on a table in the back. And Bob is going to lead us in a song again. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to celebrate this together.